tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches talk about Wayward Sun by Rainbow Rowell. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blount. And before we get started, um, we just have a couple of things to tell you. As you probably noticed, we were away for December, most of December, but we did do some cool, special, fun stuff that showed up in other feeds. So on the Gay Pirate podcast feed, if you, you know, like vampire media, which I suspect you do, we released an episode about the What We Do in the Shadows movie that you should definitely listen to because it was super fun. Um, on the Gaily Prophet feed, we released an episode where we talked about Chuck Tingle's book Straight and then ch- talked to Chuck Tingle about Chuck Tingle's book Straight in the same episode. And there's a timestamp on there if you just want to listen to the interview but don't want to listen to the book discussion. So, you know, there's that for you, no matter no matter if you want to hear us talk about a horror book or not. And then last week on the Gaily Prophet feed, we released our annual birthday episode. So at the very least, you should go listen to that one because it's sort of a, a deep reflection on our lives, the podcast life. It was just really great. So yeah, do that because it's fun. Why would you not do that? Right. And if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you are probably in the midst of it being cold in a lot of places and you know maybe not as joyful as you feel like you should be so i don't know join us we'll talk about some fun stuff exactly um speaking of talking about fun stuff jesse what are we talking about today today we are talking about chapters 45 46 and 47 of wayward son in which Chapter 45, we are in Simon's POV, and we get the boring side of Baz's adventures with Lamb, which Simon is just too cute up to to relax about, even after the two-hour walking tour. Uh, When Baz's phone dies, he does his his chosen one duty and goes to find his boyfriend. He walks up just in time as Baz is confronting Lamb, and to Simon, it really looks like they're going to kiss, but they don't because, uh, hello, Baz... But because this whole damn book is them misunderstanding each other, Simon is just angrily resigned to this. Chapter 46, still Simon. Uh, Baz and Simon argue a a bit because like hell, Simon's just gonna leave a drunk Baz surrounded by vampires to go off and eat rats somewhere. Baz does not want Simon to come with, but because they're being watched by some random vampires, Baz just asked Simon to pretend that he just picked him up and goddamn it all to hell, Simon thinks that Baz is actually pretending to desire him and it's just such a fucking mess and I just want to shake both of them. But <laughs> back at the hotel room, 
Uh, Baz is still drunk and thirsty for blood. So Penny handily summons all the blackbirds from the lobby of this hotel that we briefly got introduced to however many chapters ago for him to drink out of. Um, Simon thinks that he and Shepard having to wrangle all the birds for his boyfriend will be funny one day. And I think that this will be yet another thing he will tell his therapist about in like five years and that person will not find it funny at all. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 47, Baz, uh, is feeling so many feels right now about Lamb, about being a vampire about his friends having to suck down and zoo's worth of exotic birds. But more dinner has arrived, so he goes out to eat and tells them what happened after his phone died. And everyone is shocked when Baz and Shepard confirm that just nipping a pint or two off a tourist is not going to kill them or turn them into vamps. Surprise! Also, that he's going to meet with Lamb the next day for Ty so they can discuss more of the now next vampires. Simon, two POVs in, this, in one chapter. Simon is feeling feels about how hot yet distant Baz is and is angry that Baz won't let the gang follow him inside of the restaurant. They don't want to spook their only lead, but at least they can wait outside for Baz and make sure he doesn't go to a fucking second location again. Yep. All right. So let's talk about this in our first segment. Easy come, easy go where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. And just like hopping right on that last thing that you said about second locations, right? Shepard is like, the first rule, or maybe the second, is never go to a second location with an untrustworthy maybe. And I was like, Shepard. Well, really, my question is to you, Jesse. How many second locations has Shepard gone to with oh untrustworthy maybe? So many. And I was like, I was actually, I almost put this in my notes. But like, I feel like, Shepard, have you been bitten by a vampire? I feel like you have been. Because <laughs> it seems the kind of shit that Shepard would be like, yeah, don't go to a second location. I don't know. Don't let vampires near your neck or let them do their mystical vampire powers on you. And he's just, but he would totally do it anyway. It's like, oh, well, scientific curiosity means it's like, what does it feel like? How much blood can you take before I need like a juice box and a cookie a la <laughs> donating blood? Yeah. So. If he hasn't, it's on his to-do list is what I think. Yeah, I guess. I mean, isn't he hard to kill because of his pact with his fiance? So like. I mean, he could go to any number of locations with vampires. I'm like, what are they going to do? So Right. Yeah, true. And he sure knows a lot about vampires. But if he had a vampire, like, in, if he knew a vampire, he would not be putting his new friends through all of this. So if he has been bitten, it's been by someone who, like, doesn't know his whole deal. That's fair. Um, speaking of Shepard, I know that he is taking detailed bulleted notes, like several pages of notes on this on this walking tour, which is both very endearing and exactly what I would do. <laughs> yeah. I like that him and Penny are like fighting over the one notebook because they're both just like the same exact kind of nerd about this kind of thing. <laughs> and Simon's just too keyed up to like even pay attention to like all of the cool shit that Lamb. I mean, I, I get it, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, actually, so 
this is a, a writing point. Did you feel in chapter 45 like Simon and Penny's lines had somehow gotten switched? It's like their roles are are backwards from what I would expect. Are you thinking about a specific line from 45? Yeah, here. So, like, Baz leaves with Lamb, and everyone's like, ah, no. And then Simon says, we have to trust him. He's there, we're not. He's reading the room. And Penny says, maybe he left because he didn't want to be in a room with 50 vampires. Simon, yeah, the odds are better if he leaves. And to me, that just feels... Like backwards of how they would be reading the situation. I think your book must have a misprint because my uh, ebook. No, you're right. No, she does say that not wanting to be in room with the vampires. Hmm. It's just like the we have to trust him thing. That feels like that feels like Penny. That feels like our logical like. Come on, this is how we're going to keep it going. That does not feel like our impulsive, jealous Simon. You know, Simon reacts. He doesn't he doesn't think. So like, I don't know, it just felt I mean, maybe this is like a thing where it's like should have been switched in the editing and never did. Yeah. That's kind of how it feels to me. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, just Simon being like, yeah, the odds are better if he leaves. I'm like, in what world is Simon like, no, this is a good idea for Baz to Leave yeah, with this in no world, sexy-sounding, no, flirty vampire. <laughs> you are correct in no world. Okay, cool. <clears throat> what do you have next? Um, I guess just in relation to my question about what you envision Lamb looking back like, I like how Simon says that he has a Downton Abbey face. Mm-hmm. So I'm immediately like the actor who played Thomas with red hair. <laughs> <laughs> maybe too young still (laughs) oh maybe i i did literally go pull up the downton abbey like phantom wiki so that i could like get pictures of all of the characters i kind of was torn between thomas and weirdly uh the irish one oh yeah branson yeah yeah, because he's just like a little squarer, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But yes, I did I did find it helpful. Also, I was like, oh, Jesse's going to be so stoked about this <laughs> because I literally just edited that episode and you were like, I want to know what he looks like. I feel like the other option I thought about today is remember the, oh my God, deep cut. The one young dude from the, like, two-parter Doctor Who episode where Martha and the Doctor go back in time, and he doesn't remember who he is, and there's, like, the the, the aliens hijack, like, a little girl and, like, a adult man, and then, like, one of the students from the school. And yeah. I feel like that dude who was the student from the school who was hijacked by aliens has a weird face anyway. <laughs> he does. And I'm like, he would make an excellent sort of, like, mildly creepy yet charming vampire interesting i guess i assumed that lamb was more like boy bandy kind of hot and mm. not like off-putting vampire kind of hot but i don't know like slightly inbred english nobility sort of hot. yeah 
Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Maybe next, maybe for next episode, I'll actually look up some like British actors and be like, this, this is the dude. <laughs> I, I do feel like since we're talking about that episode of Doctor Who, though, we should say that at some point in the not too distant future, folks will be able to hear you talk about that episode on the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey podcast. Oh my God, the episode hasn't come out. Oh, right. I'm like, I recorded that so long. <laughs> yeah, they record really far in advance. It is shocking though it it makes sense because like literally one of them is in australia and one of them is here so like setting up recordings must be a goddamn nightmare yeah so anyway check out uh wibbly pod if you are interested in doctor who yeah the episode that i was on uh for that the doctor who episode runaway bride just came out last week so folks can catch me there too should see if they have a tumblr anyway sorry off topic yes um I am so intrigued by the fact that Baz failed to tell us that he went on a Ferris wheel with Lamb. That didn't register as relevant reporting information. I mean, he just doesn't care about Ferris wheels, but I feel like a Ferris wheel probably in Las Vegas is probably really cool. Yeah. (laughs) Also very date-like. It's the most date-like ride you can go on well depends on the ferris wheel because some of them you can fit like eight people in there but yeah or like the london eye where you can fit like 40 people in one of those like pods yeah (laughs) um but yeah it's really i thought it i think it it felt why what did that bring up for me because it is such a like date like activity the way that we get the information of what baz and lamb did from Simon and Penny and Shepard is like they went on this walking tour they went on a Ferris wheel they like went to two different bars and it sounds a hell of a lot more like a date than Baz being like Lamb is like schlepping me around he's telling me all this stuff I can barely take it in at some point I'm like how did we get to this milkshake bar and it's like oh you really are I guess it makes it more obvious than usual that these all are unreliable narrators because it's like first person accounts and Baz is doing his best to convince us that he was not on a date with Lamb. But like from the outside, he sure was on a date with Lamb. Which is, I'm pretty sure why I was like in my brain, I'm like, Lamb is taking him on a date. <laughs> right. Which I think is what Lamb wanted Baz to think, you know? Yeah. And who knows what Baz actually thought. But yeah. at no point was that actually Lamb's goal, I don't think. Yeah. I just have to point out that two dozen spelled birds into a hotel room. That room is covered in bird shit. That quickly? I mean, I guess it depends on how quickly he is eating all those birds. But if Simon and and Shepard are like wrangling them in like pillowcases and towels to like try to funnel them in towards the bathroom, like it's not just feathers everywhere. (laughs) I feel like so... I don't know how, like, frequently a bird poops, so... I guess that's true. I wondered about that. It probably depends on the bird, I imagine. Yeah. Good thing they have Out Out Damn Spot, which can take care of seemingly anything. And, like, clean as a whistle, because I feel like you would need to do that a few times, because I'm just like... I mean, Simon tells us at the beginning of book one that Out Damn Spot, he's seen Penny use that to take care of horrifying, like, murder scene level um messes so 
I think it could tackle bird shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because in the last episode, which I listened to very recently, you like, you know, sort of gave a rundown of like what all of these birds were. I was like, when Baz eats all of them, I was just like, oh, Jesse was very clear that like all of those birds are endangered species. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, listen, they should not have been in a hotel in Las Vegas in the first place. It's not great that, you know, but like, I mean, someone in reality was going to eat those birds. So it might as well be Baz. All right. I almost put in my notes that somewhere Drusilla is wailing. <laughs> and I'm just like, that is <laughs> even more of a deep cut. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> uh, I have one more thing. Okay. Which is, I feel like there's not much attention brought to this, but I feel like Simon would really be in love with a like really bougie slider place that had like a bunch of different sliders of like different kinds of meats and like top because like what he's like shoving into his mouth is basically a plate of sliders mm-hmm. and i'm like you would love being in a funny slider place <laughs> Simon. yeah i made teeny tiny burgers as my stay-at-home new year's eve meal i saw those this photos year. they're so cute they were very cute <laughs> i just um because there's not, like, traditional New Year's Eve foods. And I was like, internet, I'm trying to, like, feel special, even though it's just going to be me in my house because COVID. And they were like, New Year's Eve food is just party food. Here's some cute party food. And I was like, great, thank you. I want to make a tiny, tiny hamburger. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like appetizers are definitely New Year's Eve food, which is great because who doesn't love a plate of fancy snacks? <laughs> exactly. Um, my speaking of food, my last thing is that I really respect Penny being like, look, I don't care about surveilling Baz and Lamb's conversation. I want to go in this restaurant because it has excellent reviews. <laughs> I feel like I'm not that. mad about her. I would also be like, wait, this is the best one in North America. Like, we've had a lot of mediocre meals recently. I would like to get some delicious noodles. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yep. And it is always the restaurants in a fucking strip mall somewhere that you're like, what? And maybe it's because your expectations are lower because they're in a strip mall somewhere that makes it like more exciting when it's really good. But I feel like restaurants that have more money for like really expensive places, usually then it's like a lot of it is like presentation and stuff and they don't care as much about how how it tastes. So yeah, I feel like the like worse a restaurant, like not like gross but like most like stripped down bear restaurant is the better it usually is Mm -hmm. the more bizarre the like conglomeration of art on the walls is where it's like what even is happening here yeah (laughs) or it's like oh this food is gonna be so good yeah there's like an excellent like whole like ramen place near like the ikea that's like in a strip mall but it's like this shit is so good (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh anyway yes Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. Who shall we start with? Simon? Yeah. 
I feel just very sad and frustrated with Simon in these chapters where he's like just jealous and then like angry, but like doesn't say anything to Bez. And then it's just like, oh, I'm not pretending to go, go anywhere he follows. And I'm just like, oh my God. Uh. <laughs> uh, Wait, say more about that last point. So there's a bit where like, Baz is like, yeah, pretend that I've like entranced you literally so we can get away from these vampires. And like Simon's feeling that kind of way. It's like, oh, well, you're pretending, but I'm not. And I'm like kind of angry, sad about it. And it's like, Baz isn't really pretending either, my dude. <sighs> I wish you could know this right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just... yeah. Ugh, if I had a physical book, I would be like throwing it across the room. Because I'm just like, ah, <laughs> oh, Simon, you're so yeah. upset, but you're also making yourself, you're trapped in a prison of your own making a little bit, my dude. Yeah. So. Yeah. His like constant refrain of like, oh, I'm just reading into this vibe that I'm getting from Baz. It's not real. It's not really happening is, yeah, it's soul crushing. <laughs> Yeah. My baby. I know. It's like it's just so painful to read. I'm just like, yeah. Oh. Depression is the worst. Sure is. I hate it. Yep. I So depression is the worst. Here's a story. I can't even believe this. Um one time in like 2005. I had like recently graduated from high school. I was, like, on a just, like, Pixies bender and just talking so much on Live Journal about how excited I was that day about the Pixies. And then one of my friends was like, hey, come with me to the store, like, right now. And I was like, okay. And then we were, like, in the car. And then someone was like, here's this Pixie song for, like, insert my dead name here and i was like what the fuck so excited and was like someone with the same name as me requested that there's like that's so cool and literally not until i got on antidepressants when i was like 27 so like 10 full years later was i like oh someone like called in and requested that like for me that's like why my friend got me in the car like that was so nice oh that Literally, is so nice at no point was it like in my brain that someone would do something that nice for me <laughs> and i just feel like that's where simon's at right now you know yeah no that makes sense my poor sad bb mm-hmm. so i actually have some stuff about uh penny and shepherd all right. Just watching their relationship develop. Just the way that they like sass each other and the way I the things that I wrote down is like Shepard saying, Oh, we should have gotten him an invitation, and Penny sarcastically saying, Oh, well, I'll remember that next time we're infiltrating a vampire ring, and Shepard just looking at her going, Isn't that literally <laughs> the next thing that we're going to do? <laughs> <laughs> um and then when baz gets back from this and is telling everyone what happened and penny's like so what did you say and baz is like i, t- I told him the truth and then simultaneously penny <laughs> says oh no and shepherd's like good plan <laughs> um, it just yeah we're just getting such a beautiful 
un- unfolding, blossoming of what their relationship is like. And I love every second of it. Yeah, their banter is pretty excellent in general. But yeah, no, good, good catch. <laughs> Um, and then I just also really appreciate that Penny is afraid of birds, but she still summons them for Baz. And it's just like, Baz, just eat. Just do it, you know? And then when he, like, doesn't want to eat the burgers or whatever in front of her, she's like, we literally just watched you decapitate a dozen birds. Like, just fucking eat your food. Like, she's just, she's a really good friend to Baz yeah. in a way that I don't think he's ever had before in his life. Yeah, I feel like a sort of... I guess it's always just really refreshing when you have a friend who is like either aware or maybe not aware, but a thing you're self-conscious about where it's just like, I don't give a fuck. Honestly, just please do the thing that is good for you. I don't care how it looks. Just fucking do it. Yeah. I'm not phased. I'm not shocked. I'm not disgusted. I don't give a fuck. I want to eat my fries. You can eat (laughs) your steak with your fangs out. I I literally just saw you eat like eight endangered birds. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like sometimes you just need that. Yeah, totally. I think Penny has like dad friend energy. Definitely not mom friend energy, but like dad friend energy where she's like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to like show up like I'm going to take care of the shit, but not in a way that feels like she's being taken advantage of, which I feel like is kind of the difference between dad friend and mom friend energy because the patriarchy. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, no, you are completely right. Sorry, in my brain, I was also like, and then Shepard's the like really permissive, excitable mom friend who's like, oh my God, yeah, let me see what you've done. That sounds so cool. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, Ugh, they're such a good pair, the two of them. I know. I, I hope them. they get together someday. <laughs> <laughs> Rainbow Rowell, where's our spin-off series? Anyway. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. My first thing is just more of a pennies in like really internalized anti-vampire sentiment pops up. Or it's like, it wasn't a genocide, you're a genocide. And I'm like, clearly you can see all of Las Vegas. They're just trying to eat some, like, eat some food and like, I mean, probably murder some people. But I mean, compared to like vampires versus like, I don't know, billionaire capitalists. It's sort of like, it. I just, I don't know, Penny. I'm just not seeing, <laughs> I just think you should maybe really, really, I wanted her to like kind of examine those biases, especially because one of her good, fr- like, her other best friend at this point essentially is a vampire. I'm like, that's fucked up, Penny. Yeah, but Baz agrees with her at this point, at least, which is also very fucked up. Um, yeah, no, I have that note too. And it's so interesting that she can hear the story that Lamb is telling. She can hear all the information that Lamb is providing. And like, everyone but Shepard is genuinely shocked, including Baz, when Shepard is like, yeah, why would he turn that guy? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, did you all not put this together from, like, the not even context clues? Like, I guess Lamb didn't blatantly say we don't turn everyone we eat, but I feel like it's heavily implied 
that they're not just turning every fucking tourist that goes to Vegas. I think they must really think that there's just, I mean, granted, considering how much the mafia was involved in Las Vegas for a long time slash maybe still is. I'm sure there are a lot of weird dead bodies around Las Vegas, but I'm like, you know, probably not as many. I'm sure the vampires are not wrecking as many bodies as like, say, the mob <laughs> or something. Yeah, you know? I feel like it's probably only like baby vampires who can't control themselves, really, that are killing people or people that are like eating someone that they're like, you shouldn't be on this fucking earth. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's like catch and release makes so much more sense and like i don't know because part of me is like if you think about things that like drink blood that aren't vampires like mosquitoes like vampire bats like they're not drinking all of your blood they're like i'm right. gonna take a little bit and then peace out it doesn't make sense to deplete your food source like that's just bad predator behavior yeah and i mean in general humans, humans are pretty bad predators <laughs> considering how many things we've eaten off the face of this earth yeah. but uh at least in las vegas nevada the vampires are like oh well we can't just kill every motherfucker and kind of like yeah why would we um which maybe really makes me think that the propaganda against vampires in the world of mages is pretty intense the only time you talk about it is like we need to like kill vampires or whatever. So it's like you just don't even know anything about how vampires operate. Like, right. truly wild. It is. It is. It's so interesting, too, because I don't know. It makes me wonder about things like goblins, who we learned a lot about in book one, where you know it's like oh we have to kill the goblins they're gobbling people up in bar bathrooms and like you know whoever kills simon gets to be the goblin king and whatever and we learn all of that from simon who's learned all of it from the mage i'm like goblins also would benefit from not if their food source is people like they can't they can't just like completely deplete their food source so either their population has to be really low or they actually are eating other stuff and rarely eating people or aren't eating people at all. And the mage is just lying because he wants Simon to kill stuff, you know? Okay. You know what kind of reminds me of? And tell me if you think I'm off base with this comparison. It's sort of like abstinence only sex education where it's like you don't learn to... I'm assuming I've never had abstinence only, but like you're not learning about like... STIs, you're not learning about pregnancy, safe sex. I mean, pleasure, obviously not, because why would you? And so you just, there's like these giant gaps in your knowledge that people, like people who go through this just don't know. Cause it's like, I've been taught that sex is bad unless you're married and I haven't been taught right. anything else. And then, you know, if you go beyond that, you're like, oh shit, <laughs> there's all this shit that I don't know that like I could have been taught. And it's like, oh shit, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of like what, this feels like a little bit where it's like as is the world of mages concerned if people know how vampires are made they're gonna go out and like become a vampire you know like <laughs> yeah and i don't i mean i think that if we're using that analogy people don't push for abstinence only education because like actually because they think if teens know about sex they'll go have sex they push for it because they think that there's something like immoral about sex as as an entity, right? And that like it's shameful, and so we shouldn't be 
talking about it mm-hmm. probably to anyone much less like teaching children about it right right and also as a good way of controlling people if it's like you know yeah i know a thing but you don't know a thing you know yeah yeah and like you know the information the people who make the choices to like promote abstinence only education have access to all of the information about how it's like not effective in preventing pregnancy and that's because teen pregnancy is very good for continuing the kind of like population control and like developing the kind of population that they want to have so i think it does make sense for the uk world of mages if their goal is like mage supremacy in terms of like the world of you know magical beings to regardless of their access to to knowledge about like what goblins and vampires and whatever are actually like to withhold that information yeah and i think it could have like vanished over the years right i think the mage probably went out and got that information like he probably knew but i don't Agatha's dad probably doesn't know that like goblins and vampires are actually not as much of a threat yeah. as he was taught. Yeah, and it and it it also just feels weird in like and I know I keep going back to this, but if like Baz's extensive family library that would definitely contain some illegal text that the world of mages would maybe not want to have doesn't have any vampire texts in it, is like also just I don't want to say like a collective forgetting, but just sort of like it's like Someone in power, like, 100 years ago, really did not want you to fucking know anything about how vampires could just live in a maybe, you know, uneasy, but totally fine coexistence with mages and people, you know? Right. Yeah, especially because it really does seem like the in this world, being bit by a vampire seems to be pleasurable. Like, the dude that they take in that alley seems happy about his experience in the alley, you know? Mm-hmm. So it really, you know, it's a more ethical catch and release than catching a fish. <laughs> I mean, fish honestly. doesn't get anything out of that. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to talk about bass? Let's talk about bass. Speaking of vampires, let's talk about yeah. poor bass in these chapters. I, I think you should you should start. He's just grappling a lot with everything that he's learning. Um, we saw it a bit in the chapter, the last the last chapters we talked about where we're in his POV, but I think we see it more within in 47 where like we're with him as he's sort of like sobering up and like reflecting on everything that happened and the way that he feels about not having stopped Lamb from biting that guy, I think in in particular is like uh, a lot. I it's kind of heavy. Yeah, you know, and like having to adjust his worldview from being like a vampire bite is death in one way or another to being like a vampire bite is fine, and if carefully applied, you know, mm-hmm. and like also just sort of having to like. I think also possibly at the the root of his self-hatred is sort of like, my mom died to not be this thing that I am currently, you know? Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, 
seeing Lamb be so casual about it. I mean, the thought, if he, you know, I'm sure the thought of if she knew this, would she have still killed herself is still obviously is like, Ooh. is a thing that it would not surprise me if Bess, maybe not at this moment in time, but at some point thinks about that, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's a really good point. But yeah. And so, yeah. And I feel like his sort of, the sort of like extra self-hatred he has here is like understandable, you know, like he has all of this and then he's like eating tropical birds in front of his friends <laughs> and his like things are all popped out when he's like just trying to eat like, you know, some fries and a steak. And he's just like, yeah, he, his, he, he takes some hits in this chapter. And especially when Shepard's yeah. like, wait, do I know more about vampires than the actual vampire here? Yeah. Like, for serious, you guys? Yeah. And just, like, it sucks. It fucking sucks. It does. This is a lot of things. And he's sobering up. Ugh. Yeah. Nothing yeah. feels worse than sort of drunk sobering up, like, self-reflection. Like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. It's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's very, very sad. Yeah. If only Simon was just like, but I think your fangs are hot. <laughs> really right. Could have come right? Yeah. Welcome to I'm Just a Poor Boy, where we talk about ways you can support this podcast. And this month, I'm going to remind you, or maybe tell you for the first time, who knows, depending on when you started listening, that we have a sticker club, and it's cute and fun and a really great way to sustainably support us on a monthly basis. It's four fifty a month. You get a different, cute, queer, witchy, fun sticker in the mail every month. People really love it. Sometimes they're sparkly. Sometimes they glow in the dark. It's great. You should join. You two could have the most original slash queer water bottle slash laptop slash car slash locker. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Wherever you want to stick a sticker on. Yeah. So check that out. It's in our shop. And oh, I guess I should say all of the stickers are designed by either me or our friend Theo, who you have heard on episode eight of this podcast. So that's fun and cool, too. Okay, next, next thing. Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. I only have one rant in this section. All right, let's hear it. Which is, poor Baz just does not know really anything about vampires. Besides kind of how to kill them, essentially. Mm -hmm. And what he knows about himself. And since in America, the magical community is obviously looser, but more, I don't want to say permissible, but like, right. There's no, no one's out here trying to murder all the vampires. And so part of me is like, I want there to be a like mage, maybe not a mage, magical being bookstore for Bass to go to to be like, hey, do you guys have any books about vampires? 
or something <laughs> for oh him. Because just talking to Lamb obviously is not a sustainable, as we'll see, not a sustainable thing, nor really a good thing in the long run. But I'm like, Paz, you need to know. And I'm just like, is there some something? Yeah. I mean, I was, they have quite the agenda to go save Agatha. Priority. But I'm like, is there a convention? Something. I mean, like... I literally just watched Ghostbusters 2 for the first time since I was like 13, probably. Because it's a New Year's Eve movie, so I watched it on New Year's Eve. Uh, and... Dan Aykroyd's character in that in the time between Ghostbusters 1 and Ghostbusters 2 has started a like legit occult bookstore where they like you know sell legit occult books and so as soon as you said that I was like that's where Baz needs to go because for sure he has the right book for Baz oh yeah if there is any place in this country that would have okay well two places like New York New Orleans mm-hmm. obviously yeah um, I mean, obviously, they're not anywhere near the, any of those two cities. <laughs> Literally, anywhere near nope. those two cities. Uh, but I just want that for Baz so much. Yeah. Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. One moment. Are you pulling up the relevant passage? Yes. So Simon says, He's sitting there on a black leather armchair. He's sitting there in blue silk with red roses, shotgun scars shining on his pale chest. His hair is wet. His teeth are sharp. His feet are bare. He used to be mine. Maybe he still is. A little bit. Enough that I'm allowed to look at him. It's sad, but also incredible. It is It is incredible, yes. Also just showing off how much Simon loves Baz's uh, full vampire self. Yes. Which, yeah. Baz, if you only knew. <laughs> For real. Also, I just like really appreciate the fact that you know that baz like takes immaculate care of his feet because i feel like his feet are bare is a very dangerous sentence you know that's i I especially am like repulsed by feet generally like absolutely not but if i am going to have to look at them at least they should be like well taken care of and i'm like baz has never once in his life not taking care of his toenails and i really appreciate that about him (laughs) uh yeah for sure yeah before this he definitely gets pedicures yeah he's not getting on a plane to america without getting a pedicure like what kind of monster do you think he is not that kind of monster Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. Uh, I just have some history, my only thing in this section. Love that. Um, Which is, we get the tantalizing line that vampires were the key to to desegregating the Las Vegas Strip in 1960, which I was like, oh, really now? 
Uh, and to bring this up for like, I think the eighth time in as many <laughs> episodes, the excellent drug history about Las Vegas, but I have a link to this specific one, which is about the actual hotel slash casino that started on the path of desegregating Las Vegas. So okay. just very briefly. So it's called, it was called the Moulin Rouge Hotel after, of course, famous Moulin Rouge in Paris. So it opened in 1955 because before that, if you were a black person, you could perform on stage at casinos in Las Vegas, but you couldn't gamble in the casino and you couldn't stay at the hotel. So you had to fucking leave, which is, yes, wild. And especially wild because like in the 50s, it's like, aren't two thirds of your famous musicians going to be black people? Right. So it's just like even more wild. So like, I guess a bunch of investors, including Detroit hometown hero, Joe Lewis, pull a bunch of money, open the Moulin Rouge. It is an integrated casino, like black people in front of house, like, you know, integration, ton of black performers. Uh, They like go out of their way to like find black performers to perform at this casino. But it's also popular with a ton of the white performers at the time, because obviously then they could actually party with their black friends in Hollywood after performing at whatever casino. Mm -hmm. So extremely popular place. Uh, The white casino owners of the strip being shady and racist as fuck, uh, basically did a lot of like bullshit so that the casino part closes like six months later. Oh my God. The hotel is still open. The hotel is open, but the casino part and the like stage performing part closes because bullshit and racism. But five years later in like 1960, with the help of the president of the, you know, Nevada NAACP, who was like the first black doctor in Nevada, is like, uh, if you guys don't integrate uh, Las Vegas, we're going to fucking protest. And they're like, oh, we actually don't want that to happen because <laughs> that would definitely affect our tourism in 1960. So like the local government signed an agreement to like, you know, integrate Vegas hotels and casinos because this threat of, po- of protests worked. And they actually met in the like closed ballroom of the Moulin Rouge Hotel and Casino. Yeah, it is... The drunk history video is like six minutes long. It's very funny. And then there's like, I also have a link from like PBS about a little bit more of the like sort of history of segregation in Las Vegas. But like, yeah, super cool. That is Um, cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, the casino is like an empty lot now because what does the U.S. know about building preservation? Jack shit. Yep. Nothing. Not a goddamn thing. So maybe Lamb and his vampire cronies are like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. You guys, like, who gives a fuck? Mm-hmm. That's fun. Uh, yeah, I was very excited about doing, like, 20 minutes of research about this. I can't believe I still haven't watched that video, even though you've referenced it, like, every episode for the last bunch of episodes. So, I really need to do that. I don't know where the full episode is. Uh, I don't know where you watch Comedy Central videos at. But I do have I do have a link to at least this clip about okay. the Moulin Rouge, which is really good. Cool. 
Yeah. And there's a bunch of like more fun details about like what famous people performed there, you know. Mhm. Awesome. Yeah. Um yeah, so we get a new spell this chapter, Come Home to Roost, which calls birds to you as it mm-hmm. should. As it should. <laughs> um so I appreciated that. So then my other thing, my last thing is that it's just occurred to me while we've been having this conversation because we've talked about, you know, vampirism. Is it a virus? Is it a, like, genetic thing? Like, how is it? How does it work? Whatever. In the last episode, no, in the What We Do in the Shadows episode on the Gay Pirate Podcast, we talked about the issue of, like, biting the, the artery in the neck and the fact that, like, it's sort of realistic, the, like, way that the blood spray happens in both the movie and the TV show, and you really would, like, bleed the fuck out, right? But everything shows vampires biting the neck, and so in that, we were like, well, what if it's, like, mosquitoes, where they, like, have a... Anticoagulant in their, on their fangs? Wait, anticoagulant? Is that... It's a coagulant. A coagulant. So, like, yeah, so the reason, like, mosquito bites itch is, like, this stuff they secrete when they bite that like closes the wound as they withdraw their mm. proboscis um so what if vampires have something like that some sort of venom that controls the rate of blood flow right so i was thinking about that and then i was like the way that vampires are made is like they drink of your blood and then you drink of their blood mm-hmm. which is how like lyme disease and like malaria are transferred through like ticks and mosquitoes they drink of your blood and then they like leave some behind but with like their body contents in it yeah i feel like it's kind of like when you have backwash and drinking out of a straw that's basically what's happening when a mosquito or a tick bites you exactly and like why you need to not squeeze a tick when you're pulling it off of you so that you don't get lyme disease yeah or the like 30 other tick diseases. Oh my god. I I saw a TikTok where someone was like it was a it was a funny TikTok but it was also a true TikTok just listing all of the different diseases you can get from ticks. It's horrifying. Um <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I don't know if my anxiety needs me to watch that even though I'm like try to be very careful of ticks, but <laughs> Yeah, I felt similarly. Um But the thing is that that makes that's sort of that's sort of how making a vampire works. And tick diseases are not viruses, right? They're parasites. Is that correct? I think it might depend. Cause So malaria as a parasite, is Lyme disease a bacteria? It says it's caused by the Borrelia bacterium. Alright. So I I guess it might just depend then on I guess maybe that means that ticks can transmit a variety or like mosquitoes and ticks can transmit weird stuff. Yeah. So maybe vampirism is like this, you know, because the, the all of these diseases, you can like treat them. I guess you can treat Lyme disease if you catch it early enough. But if not, it's kind of like syphilis, like you have like or herpes or you have like flare ups, basically. And I, I think this might be the best way to think about vampires is basically like blood-sucking insects that 
transmit this carrier, this thing that they carry to you when at least they don't backwash it into you every time they bite you, right? But like when they choose to have you drink their blood, like this thing is passed into you. Yeah. This is such an interesting... Because I feel like looking at vampires as like weird insects feels very like old school vampire stories where like vampires are like monsters. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I bring this up because I was listening to a podcast. Oh my God, what is it called? Our Feelings Are Correct? Our, our opinions are correct. And one of the hosts was talking, was like doing a like brief overview of Anne Rice's career. And part of why Interview with a Vampire made such a big cultural impact is that up until then, there weren't books from a vampire's point of view. They were all from like vampire hunters. I mean, Dracula's told in like letters by other people, but not ever Dracula. I think, I think Camilla is told from the perspective of either the girl that she's drinking or the person who ends up or the vampire hunter anyway so so interview the vampire changed that where you get like inside the vampire's head and it's just like oh we're just like sexy and tortured and homoerotic and like you know we are monsters but we're like people too you -hmm. know so it's like and i think that that idea of vampires is obviously what is the majority of vampire media now, which is like vampires are like sexy. And like, if you're going to have vampire media, you're going to be telling it probably from the vampire's point of view, or I guess with Buffy from the vampire slayer's <laughs> point of view, but right still, but like, it's still really fun to sort of dive into like, sort of like, I don't know. Nature is kind of grossness of vampires. Mm-hmm. Literally, had I had this, had I even been this up, I really feel like I had a point and I lost. <laughs> Thinking about vampires as being like disease carrying insects makes them leans more into like the vampires as monsters. That's yeah. where we started. Yeah, less sexy, but still very interesting. Yeah, Sex, yeah, sexy mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, the the details of how even the sexiest things work often are not sexy so it's not surprising to me (laughs) honestly this this is true this is very true um and i think anyone who's ever tried to write a sex scene about human bodies will be like what is this sexy how do i don't know (laughs) people are just mashing their bodies together how is this hot i don't know so anyway (laughs) yeah totally um cool that's it we're good we did it we did the thing excellent thank you all so much for listening to this episode of escape from reality next time we will be discussing chapters 48 through 50 so get caught up on that uh check the show notes for information about all of the things and until next time scatamoosh